From the Annie E. Casey Foundation, I'm Lisa Hamilton, and this is CaseyCast. Today's guest is someone who has spent years advocating to end gun violence, particularly gun violence against Black women. In 2018, she participated in the March for Our Lives rally, earning praise as a next-gen sensation, the girl inspiring America, and the voice of a generation. It was a remarkable moment and a life-changing appearance, all the more impressive because today's guest, Naomi Wadler, was just 11 years old and publicly speaking for the first time to an audience of millions. Since then, she has spoken about this issue across the country and at a number of events, including the World Economic Forum, the Women in the World Annual Summit, and the Tribeca Film Festival. Naomi's advocacy efforts continue, and she's here today to talk about her work and the role that young voices can play in driving meaningful change. Hi, Naomi. Welcome, and thank you for joining us on CaseyCast. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Awesome. Well, you speak regularly about the inequality that exists in our society. What gave you this awareness at such a young age? And do you think other young people your age see the same kinds of issues? Um, I think that had a lot to do with the environment I grew up in. I was adopted, so race and how I fit in in majority white spaces has always been something that was in the back of my mind constantly. Uh, my mother is white, my father is black, and in an interracial family, you have to have these conversations because other people will try to insert themselves and ask you, well, why Why do you look different than your mom? Is she your real mom? Stuff like that. So the, the way my mom was so open and honest when having those political and racial conversations with me, I think really shaped who I am as a person because it allowed me to be more comfortable when I stepped outside of my comfort zone and had to talk about stuff that I didn't normally speak about. I felt I felt like I could do it because I had done it with my mom and I had done it with my dad and it had always been normalized in my household to have these heavy conversations. Wow. Well, that, it certainly seems like you were prepared for these conversations. Do you think that other young people your age are more knowledgeable and, and able to have similar conversations? I think that politics is becoming cool again. It was definitely something that was a little snooze fest. I don't know. When I was in the third grade, uh, nobody was really interested in it. And um, when Trump ran for office, uh, our school made a rule that we couldn't talk about politics or Trump or any of the candidates. Uh, so it really wasn't, uh, it was really discouraged uh, having those kinds of conversations. But as uh, the kids that I grew up with, as we got older, as we started to see more of the world than what our parents put in our eyesight, I think we really began to realize how important it was to have these conversations because it's our future and it's our lives that are on the line. So I think that politics is becoming a more acceptable thing to talk about in younger generations. That's amazing. Well, I understand you organized a walkout at your school at age 11. Tell me about that and what made you feel like you needed to take action? Uh, my mom's uh, friend from uh, high school's daughter was shot in the Parkland shooting in mm. 2018 and um, she ended up passing away. So I feel that I had a pretty close connection uh, to that particular incident. And it was, it was really hard to spend all night worrying where Jamie was, worrying if she was going to be okay, worrying if everyone that we knew who had connections was going to be okay. But I remember 
I mean, hours after it had happened, I saw protests. I saw kids from that school. I saw kids from other schools speaking up and organizing rallies and putting up posters. And I felt, even though they were so much older than me, that I could do that too. Because I'd never really seen someone who looked like me or who was around the same age as me, who shared those common things with me, speak out. That wasn't something that I did. That was something that those weird guys with suits on the television did. So it... I mean, I think really what it was for me was being able to see other people that really inspired me. It made me feel like I could do it too. Well, I'm so sorry for your loss and for your family's loss in connection with Parkland and um, just really impressed with the way you tried to turn that tragedy into something uh, powerful and, and to use your voice to speak out. You know, at the same age, at 11, you spoke at the March for Our Lives rally in Washington, D.C., and the reaction to your speech was just overwhelmingly positive. How did you decide what you wanted to say, and how did you feel about your experience there? Well, that's a pretty long story. Um, I knew about the march on the 24th and I had talked about it with a lot of my friends and I really, really wanted to go. My mom said it would be too big. It would be too crowded and that we had to go on spring break. And I think a day or no, two days, uh, before we went right after I had done an interview with the media company. Now this, uh, someone emailed my mom and said that they would like me to speak there. And my mom was really hesitant because when a 17-year-old emails a parent and asks if their 11-year-old child can speak at some like obscure rally, it's not really uh, something you would lean into quite right away. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Matt told me later, Matt Deitch, who is the head of March for Our Lives, that he had George Clooney call us because he thought that that would convince my mom further. Uh, and it worked because who wouldn't that work on? <laughs> right. Um, and uh, I spent the entire day after that, I got to stay home from school, just practicing and practicing and trying to figure out what I was going to say. I had spoken off the cuff before, but I had never really written anything or given a speech like that in public. And I thought there were going to be like 200, 300 people there. And that was definitely not the case. Um, <laughs> So my mom got home that night and she sat down with me and we went over all of that together. And she, well, she said to me, what do you start with? Well, my name is Naomi Wadler. How old are you? Where do you go to school? Um, and it was just a series of questions that she asked me and the speech was made up of all of my answers. So uh, I owe a lot of me, me being able to organize all of my thoughts to my mom. That's amazing. We're going to follow up on about a question about what parents can do in a minute. Um, but tell me how you felt after the speech. What did it feel like to be up there talking to such a huge crowd? And, and were you surprised at how people reacted to your remarks? I was surprised. I mean, there were a lot of celebrities there and a lot of them took the time out of their day to talk to me. And it was so ridiculous. I don't even I mean, it was it was crazy. I can't even express myself. But I remember thinking while I was up there, you know, this is really fun. I'm so incredibly lucky that people responded the way that they did to what I said, because I could be in a completely different place right now if what I said wasn't received well. Um, but people were cheering every other word that I said, and it was just so incredibly invigorating. Um, and I, I hope um, that I get to experience something like that again. I said that earlier, but I thought that there were going to be like 200 people there. And there was actually close to a million people there, which was right. crazy. And when I got home, uh, I people were like stealing my identity online, pretending to be Naomi Wadler. 
Uh, so my mom was on the phone all night just trying to figure all this stuff out. And that same night, I got a call from The Ellen Show saying that they wanted me to come on. And I I feel like I blacked out that entire week because I don't remember I don't remember anything. And I just remember being so incredibly it was so surreal. I pretended to be on the Ellen show in my room uh, like so many times. <laughs> and there you were in real life. Right. That's amazing. We you know one of the things we often talk about at the foundation is how advocacy helps young people gain skills and confidence. Mm -hmm. And so it's beautiful to hear your story and you know how you thought about putting your your remarks together. What do you think you have learned or gained from your advocacy skills? You are obviously an incredibly poised and confident young woman. Do you think being an advocate has helped you build those skills? I do think it's definitely helped with my writing skills and definitely helped with public speaking, which is something that I'm probably going to need throughout my life. But one thing that it's helped with that's not directly related to the work is self-care and how to focus on myself every once in a while. Uh, I've been in a lot of different spaces with a lot of different young activists and older activists. And I mean, I feel I feel as though there's this this pressure on people who are significantly younger to um save the world before they save themselves, before they focus on themselves. Um, and it can seem like you have this kind of hero mentality, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I feel like I've been in that situation too, but you don't necessarily think to yourself, well, I need to take a step back. And it's not really my responsibility to speak to all of those people when I need a break. Um, so being able to calm down and take care of yourself is something I've noticed once you get swept up in speaking like a thousand words a minute. Wow. How do you take care of yourself? What do you do to decompress from all that's going on in the world? Uh, I love to read. That's probably my number one thing. And I love writing. Hmm. That is awesome. Well, you have mentioned your mom, Julie, several times and the ways that she um, even set the stage for you to understand the world that you're growing up in and to help you organize your thoughts before you spoke at the uh, March for Our Lives rally. What could parents know and learn from your experience about how they can support their children who are interested in advocating for change? What should they do and maybe what should they avoid? I truly believe that a lot of parents with younger kids feel this pressure and this like need to shelter them and not let them know what's going on. My, I mean, my kid doesn't need to know about politics, right? Because they're not old enough to understand that stuff and it's not their responsibility. And what that ends up turning into is a child who grows up in this very sheltered environment, goes out, goes to college, goes to high school, and is bombarded with all of these different views, all of these different sides that they need to pick. They have no idea what's going on. They have no idea how responsible they need to be. They have no idea what voting is. They have no idea how to register to vote. And they're completely overwhelmed. And what that turns into is an adult who does not exercise their right to vote because that was never something that was talked about uh, in their childhood homes. So, I mean, if you want to create a good and involved citizen, what you need to do is raise your children uh, 
through the eyes of the television screen and through the newspaper. I know that that seems bad. I mean, you don't want your kids to watch TV, but it can be so important. And I think part of the reason I'm so comfortable talking about these things is that I grew up with CNN on in the background in the house. And my mom would always answer my questions when I wanted to know what was going on. I was five years old when Trayvon Martin was shot. And my mom sat down with me for like two hours and explained to me what was going on, explained to me how this should have made me feel, how asked me how I felt. I mean, there are so many things that I can credit to my mom, especially how she exposed me to these things at a very early age. That's amazing. Are there any things that you think parents might want to avoid? Uh, censoring a lot of what their kids consume. I mean, that is reasonable to an extent, but when it comes to, oh, well, I don't want you reading on this article website, or I don't want you looking at this, or don't talk about politics with anybody that's rude. I think that controlling your child in that manner without explaining to them why they can't do those things um, can be very, very harmful. Hmm, that's great, great advice. Well, as an advocate, how is connecting with young people like your friends and classmates different from connecting with adults? Do you find yourself changing your message or how you talk about things with adults versus other young people? Uh, when I'm talking to adults who might not necessarily agree with me, I try to bring out like a big vocabulary and make myself seem like I, I know exactly what I'm talking about. I definitely feel more comfortable when I'm in a situation with kids because I feel I feel as though they understand what I'm going through, which is why it's so important for young activists to connect with other people who know exactly what they're going through, which is why social media can be very, very helpful in this situation. But being able to make those connections with people who understand what you're going through on a daily basis can be so incredibly crucial uh, to your well-being. Um, and so I, I'd say I feel more comfortable talking to a room of kids than I do with adults. In a room of adults, I'm constantly trying to prove myself. Do you feel like adults listen to you when you make your case? I think that some adults who might not agree with me listen to me because I listened to me. I haven't really been doing a lot of stuff since COVID um, because I was a 12-year-old who was like 4'11 and had this squeaky voice and I was saying all these big things. And I, I think that's what it was. Oh, Naomi, you're so eloquent, uh, which is also not something you should probably be saying to a black girl in uh, any case. But um, I think it was surprising. So they listened to me so that they could see how ridiculous it was. I don't think necessarily that it was they listened to me and they heard what I said. Hmm. How do you feel your ideas have been received? Do you feel like policymakers are listening to you and, and other young people and the kinds of things you're encouraging them to do? Uh, policymakers, congressmen, congresswomen, I feel that they can be so incredibly closed-minded sometimes and have a really archaic view of what the world should be, which makes sense, uh, except uh, the world is constantly, constantly, constantly moving forward. So not accepting these new ideas. And it, um, it shouldn't be so revolutionary when someone says one sentence, or, oh, I, I, I think that what they're doing at the border is wrong. That should not ignite a gigantic screaming fest at the Thanksgiving room table. Um, it, it shouldn't be so controversial, but it is because people refuse to take in new information. So if there's one thing that I think policymakers and congressmen, congresswomen, senators uh, can do is to hear us out, which is all I'll really ask for. I understand if you don't agree with me on something that may be trivial. I mean, when it comes to human rights, I don't really understand if you don't agree. But when it comes to little things, I understand if you don't agree with me. But being able to sit down and have a conversation is a real show of maturity. 
And it'd be really great if people could uh, participate in that. I think that's great, great suggestion. So um, you have obviously been developing your skills as a youth advocate for a while. What do you think makes a good youth advocate? Someone who is authentic. I think that especially in the age of social media, it can get so um, incredibly frustrating when you feel that you just posted something on Twitter and you were talking about an issue that was really important to you and you got like 30 likes instead of a thousand likes. That shouldn't be what's important in that situation. And I know that that's important to me sometimes. That's important to everyone who has a Twitter account. But um, the likes and the amount of shares and the amount of retweets, that shouldn't be what's important. But I think when you mix activism and change making into social media, you get a mix of what influencers have, which is striving for likes and money and all that, uh, while also trying to be authentic. So, I mean, I wish that I was at a place where, I mean, well, I really, I don't care what someone says in the comments about me, but I do because I mean, I'm a kid and it's hard to see someone say something bad about you. Um, so really take social media with a grain of salt and don't always believe everything you see on there and don't get too involved in that. You know, I've read young people that they feel like they're taken more seriously when they advocate for a cause using social media. Do you think that's true? I think that that can be true to an extent. You can be anyone you want on social media. I mean, I could have no posts and no one will know that I'm a 14-year-old girl. Um, and I could say something and people would think that I'm like 25. So I think that social media can seem incredibly juvenile to the people who have been in the activist community, community their entire lives. Um, but it can also be a very helpful tool. So when it comes to making connections with people and getting your message out, it would be a thousand times more productive for me to tweet out to all of my friends that I'm having a rally in my backyard than it would be to put up a poster a couple places around the school and tell them that I'm having a rally in my backyard. I think that it's incredibly helpful when it comes to making connections, but it, it can be pretty bad in a lot of ways. Yeah. I've also seen young people use social media just to share information. Like it's just an important way for them to share what's going on, like to be a, a news source of sorts and to, you know, share perspectives of others, of ways to, to think about things. And so it, it seems like social media has a variety of, of tools and that young people just have to think about, you know, why am I using it and what is, is it the best tool for what it is I'm trying to accomplish in this moment? Mm -hmm. So do you use social media? Do you have particular channels that you think are, are more useful for advocacy? So I didn't have social media until um, sixth grade. And even then it wasn't on my phone. It was my mom who was managing it. So mm -hmm. I never really had the app. So I like to say I only got social media last year because I couldn't even see anything on it. Mm -hmm. um, and I noticed that being active on social media is very synonymous these days with being active in the political community. I mean, I'll have people DM me and ask if I'm following um, the Chauvin trial uh, and say that I'm not posting anything about it, so I must not be watching it and I must not care about it. I mean, mm. it shouldn't, posting about something should not equate to caring about it mm -hmm. or being involved with it because mm -hmm. that's such a superficial concept. And it frustrates me. Um, so I, I try to stay off of it most of the time because, like I said, I brought up the idea of being swept up. I can definitely get swept in the current um, and just kind of slowly lose my mind when it comes to likes and follows and who's saying what about me, who's messaging me this. Um, I actually haven't posted on Instagram in a while, and I feel really happy. I mean, I've still been doing 
other stuff, interviews, um, tapings, but not having to constantly update my life from there and having a moment to digest what's going on in the world without having to spew out my opinions on it um, half-heartedly because I'm not exactly sure myself what's going on has been really important for me. That's great. You're right. You know, social media is such an immediate form of communication that it doesn't often give you time to think about what you believe or to formulate an opinion. So um, that that's a really good point that um, not feeling that immediacy gives you a chance to take a lot of information in and think about um, how you feel about it without feeling like you got to say something or comment on what's going on in the world right in the moment. Yeah, I agree. That's great. What advice do you have for a young person who wants to follow in your footsteps and advocate for change? I would say don't look to others for your definition of success. You should think about what you want to do and how you want to communicate what's important to you. When I wrote my first ever speech, I I looked up all these different speeches from all these different people, and I, I did my best to emulate them in the couple first drafts, which is exactly what you should not do. Um, just taking time to use your own words. And that's what I said earlier about authenticity Mm -hmm. and being able to communicate your ideals, your views, your ideologies without um, sinking back and looking at other people and trying to emulate them, create them, um, redo what they did. Because I find that you will be the most successful if you are truly um, the realest version of yourself. So don't look to others for your definition of success. Look for that within you and uh, find what's best for you as opposed to um, copycatting. Yeah. Well, I started off the show talking about your passion um, for um, addressing issues of gun violence. You know, a lot of young people today, their attention shifts from one challenge or, or cause to the other because there's just so much going on in the world. Are you still focusing on um, gun violence issues? And are there other issues that have emerged as important to you? I definitely focus on gun violence and domestic violence as Mm -hmm. it specifically relates to black women um, because I see people talk about gun violence all day and I see people talk about climate change all day, but we never really talk about the the girls who it happens to the most at disproportionate rates. I I truly feel that for me to try to address gun violence as a whole would be very wrong because I am not a personal person. Um, victim of gun violence. And it's not something that I can be authentic when I speak about because I I haven't experienced that. So why should I go up in front of a bunch of people and try to pretend that I know what the issue is and that I know what the solution should be? But I do what I do know and what I have experienced is violence against black women. So that should be the thing that I talk about. Hmm. That's that's a perfect way to to understand how somebody should pick their priorities. Well, I want to know if you could uh, ask our political leaders to make one change, what would it be and why? I said this earlier, but I would say um, I would ask them to act for themselves. Um, There are so many factors when it comes to someone making a decision. Um, Well, should I should I endorse this person? Maybe my party won't like it. Maybe they won't reelect me. I think that it should be more of a conversation about what is right as opposed to what would be right for me personally. Um, It's it's I understand that it's hard to have such a large platform. um, But when you are constantly only doing what would benefit you, you're not really change making in that sense. You're um, climbing that uh, political hierarchy. 
That's amazing advice, Naomi, for um, our leaders to think about what's in the best interests of their constituents and their communities and, and to put those priorities first over self. I think that's amazing um, advice. Well, you're an incredible young woman um, and doing big things in the world. I'm dying to know um, what you want to do when you finish high school and college. What are your dreams uh, as an adult? I have so many different roads I could go down. I mean, this over the summer, I wanted to be a surgeon because I was watching Grey's Anatomy. And I was so convinced that it wasn't just because I was watching that show that I was actually going to be a neurosurgeon. Um, after that, uh, I got into law and order. So I was like, no, you know what? I like to ar argue. So I could, I could be a lawyer. Um, and I was really into that. I mean, Yale law, something like that. Um, and, uh, then again, I, <laughs> I'm saying this out loud. I realize how easily swayed I am. I watched The Devil Wears Prada, and for about four or five months, I've been really into fashion journalism. I mean, I did a, I did a, um, a history project on it in my at my school. Um, how uh, Anna Wintour uh, is synonymous with the working women and women in the workplace, um, and how when a woman is assertive, it's um, she, it, women are expected to be submissive in the workplace as opposed to men who can be assertive and aggressive as much as they want. And I find it really interesting. And it's not really something that I thought about because I feel like everyone expects me to go into law or go into like be an author, be a poet, be something academic, which would be great. But what if I could be something that truly does make me happy? Mm -hmm. Well, let me be a black girl to tell you, you can be anything you want to be, Naomi. I started off as a lawyer and that didn't end up being the thing that gave my heart joy. What gave my heart joy was working in community and working in philanthropy. And so though I started in one place, I have found my way to another that really gives me so much um, more fulfillment and, and uh, joy and feeling of contribution than I think I I could have had as a lawyer. So um, it's fine to start wherever you want to start, but there are certainly um, different roads your life may take you. So I'm, I'm happy to be an example um, for that, that it really is important to, to follow your passion. And you don't have to choose one thing. You can go down many roads um, in your life and you are um, such an incredibly talented young woman that I'm sure any path you choose, you are going to be extraordinarily successful at it. I can't tell you how much I have enjoyed hearing from you. You have been inspiring uh, to me, and I am certain that you will be inspiring to our listeners as well. So, Naomi, thank you for joining us on KCCast and for using your voice in such a powerful way. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. You can ask questions and leave us feedback on Twitter by using the KCCast hashtag. Also, feel free to follow me at LHamilton underscore AECF. To learn more about Casey and the work of our guests, you can find our show notes at AECF.org forward slash podcast. Until next time, I wish all of America's kids and all of you a bright future. <laughs>